Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast, hiring for what's next. In each episode, we'll meet people at the forefront of hiring. In this series, we'll talk about hiring maturity, which is how companies move through different stages as they get better at hiring. Greenhouse president and co-founder John Strauss sits down with talent leaders to discuss their hiring maturity journeys. We'll hear how they did it and what they're focusing on now to be ready to hire for what's next for their companies. They'll share advice to help your team get better at hiring. And now, let's pass it over to John. Hi there. Thanks for listening to the podcast. This is John Strauss, uh, president and co-founder of Greenhouse Software. My guest today is Tim Sackett. Tim, thanks for being on the call. Thanks, John. Love uh, I got a chance to come on. Um, now, for the for the poor souls who don't know who you are, <laughs> why don't you tell us <laughs> who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, well, my, like the day job, the one that pays me money, I run a staffing, a technical staffing firm out of Michigan and mostly contingent kind of contractor types. And then, um, but like, I think most people probably know me from either my book, The Talent Fix, or I started blogging in, you know, in the HR and TA space about 10 years ago and actually got talked into writing every single day about nine years ago from my buddy Chris Dunn over at the HR Capitalist and Fistful of Talent. So when you start writing every single day um, and you get the audience and you get invited to come speak at like, you know, great places like greenhouse open and um, it really just, you know, it's opened up just this entire world, you know, one of which I think is, you know, I get to write, you know, I, you know, I write every day. And so you tend to like figure out what your content stream is going to be, which was for me, was mostly like HRTA leadership stuff, some tactical stuff as well. But I also got into like, I really felt like I never really understood the technical aspect of what we do, um, not just HRAS, but even like, you know, things like we're going to talk about in terms of the tech stack for TA. So I started demoing products um, and writing about them and really kind of doing reviews, but not really like critical reviews, because I always think that there's technology that we have that for me might be great and for somebody else might not be so good. And if you think about how we give demos, like if you think about how Greenhouse gives a demo to a non-customer, you tend to teach them a lot about what you do and how you do and why you do. And a lot of that stuff they could probably just do on their own manually, but your technology obviously allows them to do it much more efficiently and faster and better and all of that great stuff. And so I truly, I think, started to learn technology through the, the the demo process of and then asking questions. And there was an expectation, right? When you guys demo for somebody, there's an expectation they're going to ask really dumb questions because they don't know. And I always think like the, the vendors are so great at like, oh my gosh, that's a great question. And let me tell you why. And they teach us the technology, which I think is amazing. So I always, I'm such like an advocate for people to go and just demo, demo, demo. Like if I'm a TA leader... Um, I tell people like start out with just one product a month and, and go out, right? Think about all of those great vendors that work as add-ons to Greenhouse. You know, you probably, I mean, a TA leader could go three years in demo and and never see the same product twice, you know. For sure. <laughs> it was like 350 partners at this point. Yeah. I haven't seen them all. I know. Yeah. It's, exactly. it's interesting. Like right. I you, know, you take you take from that side of like do the demos. Like I from sitting on the vendor side, I always think the opposite. I'm like, figure out what it is you're trying to do. Like, what are the problems you're trying to solve? What's the vision for the the thing you're going to create? And like, when I think about greenhouse, it's like, well, you know, we're a catalyst to help you get there. But if you're like, 
I don't know where we're at. I don't know what we're trying to do. <laughs> if I plug in greenhouse, we'll do everything. It's like, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. We'll see. You know. Right. Um, I know. I do think though, like it's, it's funny because I think so often people are like, well, we need to hire people. Right. Like that. And then you're like, well, okay. Hey, there's more to that. But at, at the, really at the grand scheme of things is like, that's what they think. And then from there is like, okay, now let's really dig into like how we're going to do that. Well, I mean, so that's, that's what we talk about a lot on this podcast is this idea of like, everybody starts from the same place of like, well, I got, I got to hire a whole pile of people. And there's some folks who are really high in the maturity curve and they're super thoughtful about it. And they're like, the way they do it is a, is a competitive differentiation for their company. Like we get the best talent because we're so good at recruiting. And there's folks on the far other side who it's like, Oh my gosh, I think people join your company in spite of what you're doing, not because of yeah. that. Um, <laughs> so like, is that a thing that you kind of implicitly, like as you talk to recruiting leaders where you're trying to figure out, God, how do I figure out where this person is? Because depending on where they are on that curve, you know, which technologies they need to use are completely different. Yeah. Is that, you know, yeah, yeah no, you're, you're, you're right on. Cause I think and it's funny because, um, because I have like, this audience that like reads my stuff or finds me through all these channels of content. Um, a lot of times I'm meeting a TA leader through a question, right? They'll, they'll send me a question. They'll go, Oh, Hey, um, we're thinking about adding, you know, texting into our recruiting technology. What do you recommend? You know? And, I, and John, I, I will tell you like at least once a week in, in many weeks, many times more, I will get this, the question of, Hey, we're looking at changing our ATS. What do you recommend? And my question always back to them is, what are you currently using? Because and and, and I will tell you, seven, eight out of ten times, they're using a product that I would recommend. Like they would go, Oh, well, we're greenhouse users, you know, and and we need to change. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute, let's slow down because now I have a lot many more questions, you know, of why is that? Because I'm gonna recommend someone that's, you know, is is them. And you know, why would you say that doesn't work for you? And and I think it, it really it does define where they're at in terms of their answers that that are coming back to where they're at on that maturity scale. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that, right. That's one of my first questions is like, well, what do you use today? And also what's where are you on this curve and and where do you identify yourself and what's the problem you're trying to solve? Like, where are you trying to get to? And uh, it's always telling because it's, it's always interesting. I think when we first came up with that idea, people would say, Oh, no one's going to admit to being at the bottom of the curve. I'm like, I don't know. I think everybody's going to admit to being at the bottom of the curve and they generally do. And the, and the vast majority are right. I mean, that's just the reality. Like I, it was funny. I was um, I think at like Sherm national last year and did a, like a TA tech stack kind of, you know, presentation to like a really big crowd. And I put a slide up that said, if you're not texting candidates as a TA leader, you should be fired. And people took real offense to that. <laughs> but I'm like, I go, do you, do you understand data at all? I mean, you understand that people will respond to a text message faster than an email. And then people would come up and say, oh, but we do nurses. You don't understand. I'm like, yeah, I actually ran TA at a health system. Like, I actually do know that nurses don't sit in front of a computer. So email is probably the worst way to get in touch with them, right? And it's so funny how people will fight for like this comfort level of what they have versus what they really, truly should be using. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about... uh my imagination, maybe this is wrong. My imagination is that sometimes the folks who reach out to you that are because of the circles you travel in, you do also get to people at the very top of the curve where you're like, oh my gosh, those folks are really smart. Yeah, yeah, no. You know, the, I always think people at the, the top of the curve, 
they never feel like they're at the top of the curve, which is funny, True. right? I right, mean, they, that's right. Because right. I think they're the ones who are really, really like trying to test and push the envelope. So they never think they have the latest and greatest. They always think there's something more there, which is which is how they got to the top of the curve is because there was this willingness to just test, right? Like, hey, if we did this, what's going to happen? And they, they don't get scared of it versus going, here's our process and we have to follow the process. And that's all the only process we're ever going to use. I find that people at the top of the curve are constantly trying to implement testing different things um, and then, you know, just moving their, their stack around more than people that are on the bottom of the curve. Mm -hmm. No, that's, and that's right. They're, 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 <laughs> the dirty secret, there is no top of the curve. Um, even folks that I look at, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's really brilliant what you're doing. They're like, yeah, but we're terrible. It's other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're always striving to get better. What a question I want to ask you is that it gets to, to your intro at the beginning was, a theme that we've definitely heard as I've talked to kind of recruiting leaders is they always talk about, especially when you first started a company, is you have to split your time between the like daily effort of like moving the ball along, right? Like you got to schedule candidates and get offers out. And it's just, you know, recruiting in the best of way, in the best of cases is still just crazy busy. And yet the project of like move our company overall up that curve, right? get better technology, change your process, like get better about data. Those are two like really different rhythms. And a lot of times the first thing swallows the second, you never get to the second one. And so I wonder if I always think, I always think of you because I'm like your job, I'm sure running your agency, like I'm sure that could be a hundred hours a week job. There's plenty of work to do. And yet you also make time to be a writer and a community builder and you put on a conference and a consultant, <laughs> like, how do you manage both? Because I would think the rhythm of those two things are so different. Well, you know, one is I, you know, I think part of it is always surrounding yourself with people that I think I, early on, I realized that there were certain things I was really good at. I mean, I'm, I love to build. And then there were certain things I was not good at. Like, I don't necessarily love the day-to-day -day aspect of um, the tactical parts of work, right? Oh, or the, the minutia. And, but, but there's people out there that love that. There's people out there that that's their passion. Um, and they can't even think about starting something. They just want to run something. Um, and I always wanted to start stuff. So I, you know, I was early on, I was pretty good about, you know, surrounding myself with, with a team that was going to actually not be people who were like me, but people that were vastly different than me. Um, in really, I think understanding what your what your kind of weaknesses are and then getting people that are going to be, you know, that, that are going to kind of, you know, be that advocate of the strengths that you need. And it, it turns out really well. Like I have a team like I, that I just, I mean, I, I love, you know, and we've been together now for probably my leadership team has been together for at least nine years. So it makes it really comfortable for me to, they let me go out and mess around with stuff and test stuff and try to break things. And then they fix it for me in the back end. That's neat. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I guess what that would point to is like, if you're recruiting, if you're a leader of a recruiting department and you have to recognize that like, there's these really different types of things that need to get done from like running the day to day, like turning the crank and making it work to the opposite of like, go and build new stuff and try and innovate and, and experiment. And it's unlikely that one person will do all of those things great. And you kind of have to purposely build your team to be able to do all of those things among the team. 
And John, I think, you know, when we see a common failure of TA leaders, and you and I see this constantly, where we'll see a certain brand, you know, company, organization, and every 12 to 15 months, there's a new TA leader coming in. And you'll, and you'll see it for years, like, you know, five or six years, and you'll have four different TA leaders. And you're like, well, what, what's wrong with that? And, and good brands, by the way. And it's not that these people are coming in and then just, oh, I'm going to do even a better brand. They're actually failing, right? They're coming in and they're saying, this is what I have to do. And they, eventually the C-suite goes, nope, you're not getting it done. We need to bring somebody else in. And I think they're, that what's happening is what you're saying is that they get caught into the firefighting mode of making the donuts, right? A baker has to come in every morning and make the donuts. And then you're like, well, how do you make the donuts better? Like, I don't know. I got to make the donuts, right? And you're just like, wait a minute. You need to be able to just stop and say no. And my advice to TA leaders like that, I always go and say, hey, what if you took your TA team on like a team building exercise for the day? And you, the bus shows up at the front of your office. You all jump into the bus and you're going to go do some stupid ropes course or whatever, right? And on the way, the train smashes into your bus and you all die. You know what's going to happen the next day? There's going to be some mourning for what just happened. And then some engineering manager is going to like go, hey, like uh, I need to hire somebody. What am I going to do? And they're going to go out and hire. They're going to figure out how to hire somebody without you, without TA, because there's no TA team. And the work will continue to go on. And so like if you truly come into an organization that has to get better, must get better, there's, there's a conversation I'm having with that person who's hiring me before I come in that says, look, we might just walk away from TA for a minute <laughs> and let the organization just continue to hire while we figure out what really has to get done and how we to support it with a better tech stack and a better process and better measures and better everything that needs to. Because that's the only way we're going to get better is if we just stop doing what we're doing. It's it's really interesting. I mean, that's that has been a, a theme. What you just said is that you have to like intentionally, even before you start, create the space for yourself to do that. Right? I remember the very first interview we did on this, we did a webinar with with Shauna from TalkDesk, and she was like, I'll take the job if and only if like I get two or three months to figure it out. Yeah. And I'm not gonna fight fires during those two or three months, and everyone's gonna suffer and you're just gonna live with it. <laughs> And at the end of two, three months, like, here's how we're doing it. Here's the new plan. Everybody follow my way. And like within a year, they were like at the top of the curve. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's it. So in, in my book, when it, it's, it's, it's a foundational thing that I put, that I ask about building yourself into a great, like world-class TA organization. So I've accepted, personally, I've accepted three different heads of TA positions at big companies. And every single time it got to that final interview was it was either the CHRO or like, you know, the CEO, depending on the size of the organization and the level of position I was going for. And you get to that last interview and they're like, hey, do you have any questions for us? And and I'm like, and I go, you know, my question was always who owns talent? And they almost wanted to jump out of their seat. Like they were waiting for the question. They had the answer. They couldn't. There, there was so much energy in them. And they would point you and they go, you, you, Tim, you own talent. And I'm like, and I would stop and go, okay, I don't want that job. And then and there was this backing up of like, they, like they literally physically would kind of like go back, like, wait a minute, that's exactly the answer you want me to say. And I go, no, unless you're going to allow me to make every single hiring decision, then I don't own talent. It's the hiring managers who actually own talent. And once we get to that place as an executive team, that we, they understand that the hiring manager is actually the one that owns talent. Now we can move mountains with in talent acquisition because now I have them working with me, right? Because we have, if you think about every 
every aspect of a TA leader that is frustrating of their job, it usually always drives back to a hiring manager not willing to play the game. <laughs> right, right. Well, it it's really this ironic thing because it seems like when you say it, it's very obvious that like um, you don't do recruiting for the recruiters. Like if you hire an awesome person or a terrible person, like the recruiter barely knows. Like they get paid for putting a butt in the seat. You're doing the whole thing for the hiring manager. It's for them to like build an awesome team and build their, and obviously recruiters want to hire great people, clearly. But like ultimately you're doing this all for the benefit of the hiring manager. Like they're the end decider and the end benefit out of it. And yet people really want to outsource and say, no, no, no it's a recruiting team. Like it's this transactional thing. Your guys' job is hiring. It's like, no, actually that's a huge mis misconception. Yeah. When you, and we, when we think about that maturity, you know, um, com like that level of where somebody is on, on that, on that line. Right. To me, when I talk to them again about like what, where they see their role within the organization is another kind of indicator of where they're at in that maturity model. So if they're sitting there going, Oh, well, we're, um, you know, we're a client to the hiring manager and I go, Oh my God, why would you ever want to be a client to a hiring manager? why wouldn't you be a peer to them? Right. And why, I mean, a hiring manager asked me to do something, but, and, and I need to do that. But if I ask them to do something, they need to do that. That doesn't happen in a client customer relationship. It happens in a peer to peer relationship. That's right. That's right. No, no, no. I mean, that's a, that's a clear part of that maturity curve, right? Is like, have you redefined that relationship where it's not this transactional, like, every screaming at each other, <laughs> but like, no, no, we're partners here and we have different roles to play, but they're like both extremely important roles. We have a shared alignment of like what we're each supposed to do. Uh, and that, I don't know, it sounds obvious. And yet so many companies have not figured that out. Yeah. And I, it's one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of like hiring manager satisfaction because I also don't get to put my satisfaction against them as where I, you know, so I'm like, that's just one of those, another indicator that there's this client customer relationship that I think completely is broken within talent acquisition, HR come to the organization. It's one thing like I'm saying, okay, Hey, if they want to measure and they want to give performance feedback on, on me and my team, that's great. I also need to give them performance feedback to them. Yeah, <laughs> and the people were going, wait a minute, you can't do that, you know? Right, right, right. I mean, we we rolled out this concept at Greenhouse Open last year called the Talent Maker, where the theory was like these business owners or hiring managers don't actually understand what their role is. They're like, I I I, I want to make good hires. More and more, they're realizing we can. I can only be successful in my job as head of sales if we're hiring well. And say, like, okay, so what are you supposed to do about that? And they're like, I I'm not sure. And so we laid out this whole framework of like, be a good talent partner to your recruiters, be a talent leader in the org and be a talent magnet. And, and over, you know, overwhelmingly, we just sat with people and walk them through it. They're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. It's like, yeah, but this is what it looks like to do it well. I know. I, when you guys are the world, I love the talent magnet aspect of that because we know in our organizations, there's certain leaders that are just magnets for talent. And then when you actually dig into why, what, how, how are they different than everybody else? It just, this picture comes so clear, you know, that, oh, so this is how, this is why people are coming from other organizations to this person, you know, and it makes it so easy. And you're like, when you write it down, you say, okay, here's the seven things that like, we have obviously a person at Greenhouse who's totally like that. And and you watch him like, oh, right. Of course, like he's having all the success for doing that. <laughs> I don't do any of those things. Oh, right. That's the difference. John, you know what's funny? Do you think about every great leader you've ever been around? Have you ever been around a, a leader that you would consider great that wasn't a talent magnet? I don't. I can't think of one. You know. Right. Right. No. It's intrinsic in it. 
Well, I'm looking forward to expanding on that in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break. Want to find out how effective your company is at hiring? Then you're ready to take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment at greenhouse.io HMA. After you take the assessment, we'll send you specific ideas and strategies to help you move your company to the next level of hiring. Take the free five-minute assessment today at greenhouse.io HMA. Does your hiring process need to be faster in order to hire the best talent? Does your team feel like they need another set of hands to create a consistently great candidate experience? Grayscale's texting and automation platform is designed with these challenges in mind. With Grayscale, recruiters can text candidates from inside Greenhouse and automate communication throughout the hiring process, creating a white-glove candidate experience that shaves days off your time to fill. Getting ghosted for interviews? Grayscale's SMS interview reminders can boost your interview completion rate by 30% overnight. Need to drive more candidates through the door? Their text apply creates a quick mobile apply process that's proven to boost candidate flow by 20%. Growing businesses of all sizes trust Grayscale to power their candidate engagement, and our listeners get a 20% discount. Visit grayscaleapp.com to get started. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. How about, I know this is a question that you would like, is... When we think when we think about the hiring maturity curve, when we say, "Oh, people are trying to like move up the curve," when you think forward a year, what do you think like the best companies will be doing more of that they don't yet do? Um, you know, so th- there's a couple of things I think. One is, I think we need to get better at actually pipelining talent in a way that makes sense. You know, it, so there's a, there's a lot of this kind of su- supply chain aspects. If we think about like again, if we think about the maturity of talent acquisition as an industry, we kind of went from like warehousing to um, marketing to now we're in this kind of supply chain realm. <laughs> we keep stealing like aspects of every kind of function that that helps us. Um, we know inventory is very expensive, right? So it's it's hard to like say, hey, we're going to keep all this talent on the shelf, and then when we need to, we'll just you know tap it and it will come working for us. That doesn't really work. But I do think we have to figure out ways to engage um, our talent pipelines, you know, with really good content and things that they want and understanding it's not about just shoving jobs, jobs, jobs at them, but it's about really, you know, giving them a, a stream of content that says, oh my gosh, I want to come work for that place, right? I Like I'm desperate to get hired there. <laughs> and how do I figure that out? And every kind of functional area of what we need. Now, again, we might just focus those pipelines on certain aspects of hard to fill jobs that we have. I make, that makes sense. I do. I've heard of a couple of organizations that have done some testing around benching talent. So if you think about high unemployment, um, maybe tougher economic times where we have like we have lots and lots of people out there, what we're going to see organizations start to do is top grade, right? So they, they need to start taking a look at the team, and the talent that they have and saying, hey, if I'm a great world-class TA organization, I need to use this time where we might not have tons and tons of open jobs to go out and actually better the talent that we already have, which means, you know, hey, we're going to replace some kind of lower end folks. And sometimes, you know, we don't even or we don't even have an opening, but we know, hey, three months from now, six months from now we're going to have this kind of talent need. And there's been a couple of people I've talked with that have actually gone out and, and almost, I want to, I don't, they don't have a name for it even yet, which is, but basically they've gone out and pre-hired. So they've gone out and found someone that was just amazing, but they didn't have the opening. 
But they said, you know what, when we have the opening, we're going to hire you. And these people already have a job or sometimes maybe they don't, but usually they do, right? Because they're really great, talented people. And to make sure that you know we're invested in you, we're going to give you X. And, and an example that I've heard recently was we're going to give you a sign on of $10,000 right now. It's in your pocket. Now, if we never have that position open up or we decide to cancel it, doesn't matter. The money's yours. But what you're saying in return is that when we tell you to go, you put your two weeks in and you're coming. So they're pre-hiring great talent and keeping them on the bench. And then they're actually giving them something to do that. And they're also saying, hey, we're invested in what that is. And by the way, they've also done kind of this like pre-onboarding as well, where they'll, they start to put them into the mix of the team and the communications and the slacks and stuff like that, where they're already getting them ingratiated into the culture of what's going on. Um, and again, I think if you think about super really hard to fill positions that we know, hey, when, this, when we have this position come open, it's critical for us to fill this, but we, we know it's taking us 90 days, 180 days, whatever it might be. So we need to run faster. How do we do that? Well, part of that would be making sure you actually have somebody ready to go. And now hiring managers love the concept. And, and even CFOs think, because you think about like, if you find a great salesperson or a great product developer or whatever that might be, and you said, oh, if we got, if we were able to, when I said go, we need the person right now. And I could actually give you that person in two weeks versus three months or six months the amount of money that the company actually makes or saves by having that talent there when they need it is amazing. You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it also just speaks to the, the advantage in this moment of this like economic disruption and pandemic. If you have the like budget and wherewithal and kind of you're that much on the front foot that you can do this, you're creating such a huge advantage for yourself when so many companies are just on the, you know, obviously on the back foot just trying to stay, stay open. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And you just realize, like, wow, the, the folks who are gonna, you know, say a vaccine's discovered, and a few months later, everything starts to go back to quote normal, um, which seems unimaginable now. But let's say that happened, that some companies would be ready to really accelerate out of that. It'd be fascinating. Well, and again, we talk about that where you are in that maturity kind of model for TA. Like those people are clearly on the cutting edge. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I think the other one we're seeing is or. Uh, is more on internal mobility is that it's always been such a, a bit of an afterthought or a bit of a, um, you know, the people who really advocate for themselves go get a, get another job in the company, move around. And the people who don't, don't. And so you get all this attrition because they said, I didn't have an opportunity in the company. And so we're seeing more and more companies get uh, really proactive about internal mobility and saying, no, we got to be really thoughtful about treating our own employees as a candidate pool. Yeah, we see so many, like especially really large enterprise, you know, organizations, you know, that that's that, you know, they lose great talent because the person goes and gets hired for a position at, at a competitor where that company actually had the same exact opening, but it was just in another department, another location, you know, another segment of the business. And they were just unwilling to say, oh, let's let that person move. And, I, and you know, you and I both talked to a lot of TA leaders. And I think it's so far, I think even on the on the internal mobility side, no one's figured out what to do. Best case scenario, if you're an employee and there's a, there's a couple of organizations out there that we know that do this, which is, hey, if we hire you day one, when you start, if there's a better position that you like, you, you go for it. No one's going to stop you because we've already made the decision 
that you are a noticeably better talent and that's why we made you the offer to come work here, right? Instead of, there's a lot of organizations that go, well, you need to come in and prove it first. Well, what you're saying is we don't have any faith in our selection process that you're actually good talent, right? <laughs> first you show if you can actually you know, do the job and then we'll let you move. And there's a bunch of those organizations that it's six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months before you can make that move. Yeah, and I'm certainly there's culture in some places where, you know, if you're poaching my person, like if another manager within the company is poaching my person, you get into a big political fight where it's like, yeah, it's some short-term thinking there. Oh, no, um, and I think the, the easy way around that is if I'm a TA leader in an organization, I'm creating um, a measure in mo most likely some kind of compensation bonus structure for those leaders who give up talent, they actually get rewarded for that. Like it's their job, right, to re to move talent forward in the organization. Yeah, I think I guess the shift that I'm starting to see at the more innovative companies is, uh, you know, traditionally all the work is placed on the employee to go figure out what are the open jobs in the company and go advocate for yourself. And the more forward-thinking companies are saying, no, no, we're gonna do this like internal talent marketplace. We're like, we're gonna learn about who all of our employees are and not trust that our recruiters just happen to know. And let the employees express, here's what I'm interested in. Here's where I'm willing to move. Here's my timeline of what I'm willing to move. And let the recruiters then go chase them. Um, is it, is it kind of turns it on its head about how, how do you do this? But I think that's a really interesting way to kind of force some of that mobility to happen. Yeah, I think the big, um, you know, we see it with the HCM products as well, where they're doing like kind of the internal gig marketplace where you can, where employees now can like, Hey, I have a little bit of capacity. You know, I could I could actually do five hours a week um, in another area, right? And maybe there's a manager over there that has a project I could work on, which I think again is is owning your own kind of personal development. I can't imagine that. I'm sitting there with five hours, nothing to do. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I by by the way, I do think like this whole remote workforce has showed us that like how inefficient working in an office is versus potentially working, working at home, saying working at home, if you don't have like, have to be a home homeschool teacher as well. And yeah, you know, yeah. everything else that, that takes place. Um, <laughs> I always tell people, I think 30 hours of working at home equals 40 hours in an office any day of the week. Yeah. It's <laughs> but to your point. It's hard to generalize. It's all yes. over the place. It's so all um, over the place right now. I, I wanted to ask, because you're somebody who's who's done this, gone back and forth, is so many people, so many recruiting leaders I talked to started in agency land and moved over into corporate recruiting and then became like corporate recruiting leadership. Um, at, for somebody who is making that leap from agency land over to corporate recruiting land, what would be your advice to them? I, I think there, you have to understand how big um, politics play in the corporate world, right? In agency world, it's all about performance and measures and that's all it is. Like you can, you'll put up with an a-hole in the agency world if they're a great recruiter. It, you know, in corporate world, that doesn't really play. Like there's great recruiters I've had in the corporate side that just could not figure out the political landscape that would just wash out. We had to get rid of them, you know, because they couldn't play well with others kind of thing. And on a leadership standpoint, though, I still think like the agency folks that come over that are metrics data driven folks always have will, will always perform better than somebody that's like, oh, I was in HR and now I'm taking, a, you know, this role in TA and things are going to work out, you know, great. You know, um, a lot of times it doesn't. I, and I have a great example. So, you know, Quicken Loans, who, you know, is this giant enterprise kind of behemoth. 
you know, they they were on that recruiter leader um, train treadmill where they're every every like eighteen months, right? New ones coming in, and finally Dan Gilbert, who is the founder and CEO of Quicken Loans, um, tapped his head of mortgage sales of fifteen years, just a phenomenal leader, data driven guy. And he said, look, if we're going to double our size in three years, I need somebody that can really run this operation. And he came in and ran it, right? And it's it's totally transformed, like how they've done their business and how they do things. And and again, it's it's he's data-driven and he's performance-driven. And it was just kind of a different aspect to what they've ever seen. I mean, we've seen that story so many times, right? That like... You just pluck some very high performing leader who understands like how to manage a funnel and say like, run recruiting. The person says, what do I know about recruiting? It's like, there's lots, but like you'll figure it out. But the real thing is like, bring that kind of mindset of like continuous improvement, data driven, be a good manager, and you can actually be really good. I know I was, it was, it was funny cause I actually, they, you know, they have like a giant recruiting team and I was able to, I was actually speaking at their like annual recruiting team, you know, development day or whatever. And the, the week he started, so he got to see me. And then he's like, hey, I'm new to this world. Can you mind mentoring me or whatever? And 30 days in, we have this call and he goes, so recruiting sales. Right. <laughs> and right. I'm like, well, kind of, yeah. Like there's a lot of aspects that are very similar. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, for your purposes, close enough. You know, yeah. like, and if you build it into an awesome sales function, like eh, you'll be doing a lot better than you're probably doing before. Yeah. And then 90 days in, he's like, Hey, come, come visit, you know? And I go, and he literally had like these, you know, 60 inch flat screen TVs running live metrics. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. He's got the funnel up. He's going, who's, many, who's made how many calls today? Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Well, okay. You have it figured out. Oh you probably God. have some burnout of recruiters. You know, the recruiting right. experience was, was, right. a, was, an a, was an afterthought, but you know. <laughs> One step at a time. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. How about, um, I guess maybe this, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but like advice you'd give for somebody who's taking over a shit show of a recruiting function, um, where you go in and you inherit it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is all bad. Where yep. do you start? I, I mean, I think the first thing you have to do is get really early wins. Um, and that what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and say, okay, wh- where's the most important hiring that's happening? And you're going to have to have some conversations probably with some executive folks to know that. And then those hiring managers, I mean, literally all my effort and focus is going to be there because if I can get them on my side going, oh my gosh, recruiting has completely changed and it's so much better now. Then even if I'm not, if I've gave zero (laughs) acknowledgement and work to anybody else in the organization, they're the ones that are going to actually have that influence on the executive level. They'll say, yeah, it's totally changing. Tim's really doing the work. And other people will go, wait a minute, it still sucks. Like we, he's done anything for us. That doesn't matter because I wasn't doing anything for anybody when I came in. So I need to find those early wins and really focus my time there. The other thing that I tell leaders in those situations is you need to change the narrative. And that starts with words about how people talk about talent acquisition and how your own team talks about talent acquisition in the organization. We've, we're no longer going to be the failures or butt of jokes. We're now going to be this, right? And, and change those words. Oh, that's interesting. It's, I mean, the, the thing that strikes me is like the things that make you a great recruiter aren't necessarily the things that make you a great recruiting leader. 
No, no, not at all. <laughs> and this is the this is the real problem. This is why somebody can come in from like head of sales and be successful, and somebody can get promoted for being a great recruiter, and then all of their instincts are wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and again, if you think about our own teams, like I, I, I have some great recruiters that work for me that are just machines that could they can't lead people at all. Yeah. How do you create? How do you create career advancement and growth for them? If you're like, really, there's not a management path for you. You know, I think we assume that everybody wants a career growth. And I, and I think I find, I would bet over 50% of the recruiters that I've ever had working for me, whether that's agency or even on the corporate side, they had no desire to do anything but recruit. They were totally happy with it. They were successful at it. They were good at it. They don't, they didn't really want to manage people. So understanding that, Hey, these, this is where it's at. And then the, those recruiters that did have a desire and maybe not the ability was really trying to get them involved in project work to understand this is what it means to lead, right? So, hey, we're going to have you test this new piece of software and you're going to take the lead and you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to get it over the finish line. And watching them struggle through that, I think they realize, oh, crap, like this. Is, <laughs> I don't know if I like this job. I like to take a position and find a person and get them hired. And, oh, my gosh, that's successful. Right. I finished it. And this is so awesome. Versus a lot of times what we do as leaders is trying things or trying to implement things and they work, they don't work. You know, we go back to the drawing board and put it back in the mixer and see what else comes out. It's uh, it's a really interesting point, right? I mean, because I think there is this kind of assumption that everyone wants to move up and get a, and become a manager. And sometimes people feel that like, oh, I've, I've got to move up and and become a manager. And it's like, but but that's, you know, it's a terrible job. You're probably going to hate it. Well, yeah. And a lot of times to me, it's what we what we find when we have the conversation is it's really about compensation. They don't, they want to move up because they want more money or they want more flexibility. You know, they think a manager can come and go as they please or whatever that might be. And when you really dig into it, it becomes, oh, so you just want to make more money, right. you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, had, I've had to have that talk with folks and say, are you sure that's what you want? That seems like yeah. it doesn't fit what you're good at at all. Um, okay. I think we've reached the end of our, our time here. Uh Thank you for, for being on the podcast, as always. Yeah, I love talking to you. It was great talking shop with you. And uh, I'll read your blog post tomorrow, as I do every day. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Hiring Maturity Success Stories on the Greenhouse Podcast, Hiring for What's Next. Wondering how to start optimizing your own company's hiring? Take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment now at greenhouse.io slash HMA. Don't miss a moment of hiring for what's next. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the latest episodes.